This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to the first in a series of podcasts. During these unprecedented times at Nichols Family Lawyers, we thought it very important to reach out to the community, particularly to those most vulnerable at a time where many of us are self-isolating and have numerous questions to know how to manage relationships, particularly family relationships. So today for the first in our podcast series, I want to talk to Vincent Papaleo. Vincent will introduce himself in a minute, but from our perspective, he's one of the top um, psychologists in family law, and we often refer matters to Vince, particularly to help mediate and avoid court and to give therapy to our clients and to people we care about to ensure that they can actually manage their relationships. And this is a really pivotal time to be able to call upon someone like Vince and his experience to help us look at strategies for self-isolating and to look at parenting, um, particularly if you are co-parenting or separated parents. So I would like to introduce Vince now and to have him comment on the current conundrum. Thanks, Sally. Hi, I'm Vincent Papaleo. I'm a clinical psychologist and my area of specialty now is working within the family court and helping families resolve some of their parenting issues um, in the post-separation period. Uh, As Sally's mentioned, this is an unprecedented time. We are all navigating uh, new and different waters and in particular for families going through the process of separation and the whole post-separation parenting arrangement, this can be a particularly stressful time. So Vincent, when we have clients ring us and talk about the current climate and how they can possibly coordinate, for example, orders that they might already have in place or a parenting plan that they may have in place and logistically they will say, but I can't comply with this anymore. I was meant to have a handover at this specific time and people might become quite entrenched in terms of what the actual logistics of their arrangements are. What's your message to parents at the moment in terms of how they should be managing orders that don't really quite fit with our current self-isolation rules? Yeah. Look, I think there are two parts to that, Sally. The first is um, helping parents maintain, maintain a high level of parenting themselves so that what we know is that children whose parents separate, if their parents are not functioning well, if their parents' mental health is compromised, if their parents are not able to negotiate through then those children are more likely to experience problems. I think that it is important to try and stick to the rules of the court orders as much as possible, but the reality is that we need to be more flexible. We need to find creative solutions. It is important to reassure children that the time they spend with their parents and their family will continue uninterrupted, that things will be okay, that parents are in control, and that parents need to make decisions on behalf of their children about how things will work. It may be that 
the existing parenting orders are simply not possible to implement because of physical and or, or, or geographic considerations. Traveling might be problematic. Uh, obviously, people who are isolated at home and who are quarantined have a particular kind of difficulty. That doesn't mean that children still can't have contact with the parents. So I'd be encouraging people to not confuse physical distancing with social distancing, that even in the event that um, a parent is not able to physically have contact with their child because of uh, imposed restrictions. That doesn't mean that the child still can't have social contact with that parent. To use the telephone, to use FaceTime, to use the multitude of uh, teleconference uh, platforms that can be implemented. For those parents to be involved in games, in reading, homework, watching YouTube videos together by screen sharing facilities to ensure that the child is psychologically still connected to his or her parents and that both of those parents are creating an open pathway, an easy bridge for the child to cross in order to maintain that connection to both. Absolutely. And this is when technology really is our friend and can be used in such a positive way. Do you have concerns for parents who have been high conflict? What would you suggest for those parents or for those um, for lawyers like myself who might get calls from clients who are in a high conflict situation. Yeah. Sally, I think that that is likely to describe a, quite a large number of the families with whom we're having contact. Um, in these stressful times, it is likely that the stresses will accumulate. Um, in all circumstances, I would encourage uh, our legal colleagues and the parents with whom we're working to initiate contact with someone who can help work their way through the dispute, to think of creative uh, solutions, to still stick to, to the fundamentals. What we know is that children don't want to be involved in their parents' conflict. They don't want to hear their parents' story. They don't want to carry messages. And the same applies regardless of how children and parents are in contact with each other. I would encourage people to use as much common sense as possible and to seek to unburden their children at a time when their children are likely to feel more anxious anyway. I'd encourage parents to try and contain their children's anxiety by containing their own anxiety and that way helping them through and convey to their kids a sense that the world will be okay, that it is safe and that their mum and dad are in control. I think you've often said to me that if parents are okay, then the kids are often okay. And it's a simple phrase, but it can apply even more today and so parents need to look after their own mental health that's really I, important i think that's extremely important both their mental and physical health and, and of course it's it differs for children of different ages if you have teenagers they are likely to be actively connecting with their friends and peer group in a way that is quite common for them so it's quite likely that they will have the same kind of social media footprint that they had prior covid19 so it might be more difficult for us of a different generation to, to really embrace that. But for younger children in particular, who are so reliant upon that kind of scaffolding from their parents and their parents' emotional state, it then becomes an imperative that their parents are psychologically and physically well, that their parents are sticking to the rules, that their parents are, are abiding by the public health information that is relevant to their family situation. I think it's also important to remind parents that what one parent does in their home in terms of adhering to the public health information, including the application of social distancing, doesn't have to immediately replicate and exactly replicate what occurs in the other household. And that parents can still do things differently whilst maintaining the broad parameters of keeping their children safe. 
I think it's really helpful for kids to understand that their mums and dads are doing what they can to make sure that things will be all right for them, even if their parents are doing things differently. And Vince, we're very lucky to have a very active Chief Justice of the Family Court and the Federal Circuit Court who has um, been sending out directions and also has done a number of interviews and we will put the um, YouTube link to the um, latest interview with 3OW um, underneath this podcast so people can listen to it. He's actually, he's actually stated that he understands what people are experiencing and the challenges and has mentioned that it is important for the spirit of the orders to be complied with, of course, that you may have, but also for people to be reasonable and sensible in the way they actually address their situation. So I think he's very much, and the other judges will follow that during this period, extraordinary period of time, people really do need to think laterally and to not be uh, sticking necessarily to the strict dictates of the orders to the point of being, uh, of them being unworkable, for example, and to be reasonable. When um, some clients have actually rung and are concerned in relation to issues such as domestic violence and children being at risk, and of course, in those circumstances, the, the courts are operating. His Honour in his um, Chief Justice Ulsterman was clear in making um, it known that the courts will be dealing with children at risk and people at risk. And if there are incidents of domestic violence, then court intervention and police intervention is really still necessary in these times. We have had a couple of um, incidents where perpetrators have thought that the courts won't be enforcing necessarily intervention orders, or we have heard of activity and types of behaviour where the coronavirus is actually used as a tool to actually be quite abusive of people. Yep. What, what, what are your comments about that, Vince? Um, family violence in its many, many forms is not acceptable at any level. Um, I too would implore people, if they are confronting this unreasonable and malicious treatment to access their lawyers, to access the police and to access the court system. Um, I think the Chief Justice has made it unequivocally clear that there will be no compromises made and no allowances made in the circumstances, nor should there be. Um, I would also remind people that their behaviour now is probably a measure of how they will be judged later, that um, the court system will in fact reoperate, that people's behaviour will be held to account, Absolutely. and that it's not reasonable for anyone to make allowances for the maltreatment of them by others just because of the social circumstances. And if COVID-19 is being used as just another means by which someone can be emotionally uh, abused or maltreated, then I would very much encourage them either in conjunction with their solicitors or on their own to, to take action, that it's not okay. And in some ways it's even less okay now than it has ever been uh, at times when everyone is at such you know, heightened state of concern for this kind of behaviour to continue. Certainly. And I th it's also there are online resources um, available too that we'll put um, at the bottom of the um, podcast for people to access. Yes. But also I think we've mentioned before, this is a time to be kind and we've seen the best and the worst of people and their behaviours and whether or not people have a sense of community at this time and that respecting the social isolation rules, for example, has been a very, very um, strong message out in the media um, and 
people have been quite oppositional to it. And if that's used in a way to be aggressive or abusive to somebody, like you, we've been saying to clients as well, that it can be dealt with now and later on there will be further consequences, mm. particularly financial consequences as well. Mm. So I think that's um, something that this myth that the courts aren't still available or there aren't resources to deal with it needs to be busted and needs to be um, very clear um, that there are still still avenues for people who are victims of domestic violence at the moment. There was um, an article in Mamma Mia which made me laugh a little bit or smile a little bit because I know the reaction of some of my clients about it and that was that a recently separated couple had decided to live together uh, due to self-isolation. Do you think many of your the people you see would be interested in that as a solution? How did they describe it working, Sally? Oh, I think if they just started, I'll, I'll again have the link in this podcast, but they they were, they seemed quite positive about it, um, but they were just, just on the, um, just starting the process. So I think it was a wait and see, but it was quite a catchy um, headline. <laughs> That, that, that the virus had, had brought, had brought uh, us together again. We had just separated and we're back self-isolating together. I think it's an interesting uh, prospect, isn't it, that the external circumstances dictate behaviour and dictate a change in behaviour. I wonder whether people, when forced to tolerate and forced to live with each other and forced to compromise and forced to cohabit, might find a way forward that could have some kind of a, 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 a play it forward benefit. Um, these are different circumstances and strange times. And it may in fact invite people to have to look at themselves and their behavior differently when you are confined in the, the company of another person. And that's the way it's going to be. It may be a time to reflect not upon that person's behavior, but upon your own behavior. What is it that you can do to make this situation better? How can you act in these difficult circumstances to find an easier, kinder, more gentle way forward? How can you act in a way to ease the discomfort, the stress and the distress of another person? And that way also ease your stress and distress. And I suspect that the couple didn't want to miss out on time with their child. I think quite a few clients are concerned if there's a total lockdown that, um, if they have a share arrangement that the child will simply stay with the parent with whom the time has fallen. Yeah. And that's, that's a real fear. And I think that this couple had decided to be inventive and live together to avoid that happening. Well, again, Sally, it seems to me as though that is a creative solution in an mm. un uncertain time. It's not going to be an arrangement that works forever, but it may be an arrangement that sees this family through and this family's needs through at this particular time for a short period of time. So from the child's perspective, having his or her mum coming to mum and dad coming together and making positive creative decisions on their behalf and taking control is I think of ultimate importance. So children who feel that their parents are in control of the ship, that their parents are making good decisions together, and that their parents are implementing those decisions on behalf of their child will be okay. You know, as, as you know, one of the analogies I use all the time is if parents decide that they will move to the Antarctic and live in cardboard boxes and agree to do so cooperatively, <laughs> those children will move to the Antarctic and they will be all right. 
on condition that their parents continue to parent at a high level, or at least one parent continues to parent at a high level, and the child is exposed to a sense of calm. I think it's important not to get confused by the content, but rather the process of what's occurring. What the arrangement is, is much less important than how the arrangement is implemented for the sake of the children. If parents feel that they can move in together for a period of time and put aside their differences for the sake of their child and to continue to allow their child to benefit from the input of both parents, then terrific. However, the reality is that physical isolation is not social isolation. For parents to open the door to social contact with the other parent, regardless of where that parent is, will benefit their child. We know that children who have more contact with their parents do better than children who have less. So if you have a parent who is otherwise living halfway around the world, if the parent with whom the child lives maintains an open gatekeeping attitude and policy, that child will enjoy a positive connected relation to that parent because the message is one of value and importance. You can live next door to someone and not speak to them. You can have friends who live halfway around the world and maintain contact because they are of emotional importance to you. Applying that kind of thinking and principle to the way in which in this complicated time, we maintain a connection for children to their parents and their extended family is of critical importance. We know that if you can minimize loss, if you can maximize time with both parents, and if you can keep kids connected to their broader social and family networks, you are likely to mitigate many of the more negative consequences of separation and divorce. And, and I think Vince, what is coming to mind too is um, communication and the old communication books. But if parents who are separated could actually have a regular Zoom meeting together, for example, or collaboration where they talk about how the kids are going in each household and um, had that sort of interfacing and make it personal and make it visual if possible. Um, you never know in terms of how relationships can actually possibly improve or possibly be managed. Right. But also, as you said before, it's good for the children to be actually seeing this occur. As a rule, Sally, what we want is we want children to feel that at times of stress and distress that they can access their parents and their parents can comfort and reassure them. That is that they can scaffold off their parents emotionally so children can use their parents to help them feel better themselves. This is a complicated time and a time when children are likely to feel the most anxious because of all of the information that's coming in from so many different sources, much of which for the younger children in particular is likely to be overwhelming and confusing. So their parents need to filter that through. But if their parents together enact a sense that the world is okay, that we are in control, that we are doing what we have to, that we will keep you safe, that we are creating a bridge so you can be connected to your mum, your dad, your siblings, your grandparents, your extended family, your mates, your school, your kinder, your sporting groups, then they will start to have a sense that the world is again a safe place. There are many resources, and in particular, telehealth resources, and I'd encourage people to access even the Australian Psychological Society for assistance at no cost for support around communication, mediation, some kind of collaboration, so that even for those folks who find it difficult to talk, they can access a third party to assist and support them. The government's placed so much emphasis on the mental health 
of our community. If we're talking about the mental health of children, then we have to be talking about the mental health of their parents. Mm. So Vince, you were talking about telehealth. Have you had any experiences or virtual experiences in helping clients therapeutically at the moment? Actually, Sally, I have. Um, It's a new medium, but I have found the teleconferencing to be remarkably helpful. Um, It is personal and it is connected. Um, I've really found that people are enthusiastic and willing to try and explore different options and possibilities rather than adhering to their old narratives that they're much more receptive to creative solutions and in particular to interim solutions so that we're not talking about the rest of their lives but rather talking about what are we going to do for the next bit? What are we going to do for the school holidays? How are we going to manage the school holidays? What do we do about facilitating transition between parents? How do we manage the social isolation? How do we talk about sharing the children's clothes? All of the really practical things that when placed out into a a discourse can be discussed. Problems can be found and solutions can be sought. So I think somewhat paradoxically, my, my teleconferencing has been in many ways much more constructive because people are looking for solutions. They're and looking short, for ways and short-term forward. solutions, as you say. Yeah, it doesn't have to be forever. I, of course, hope that this will be the beginning of a much bigger change. But in the short term, what I am finding is that people are really receptive that they're looking for creative solutions. They're looking at the options to think outside the box, to find ways in which they can still maintain functioning within their families and their world in a way that is different because of the the limitations that have been imposed upon us. And it is interesting because I know from time to time when I've spoken to yourself and other psychologists that having reference to the law can be important when you've absolutely hit um, a wall with a client where you need to actually say that behaviour is Is. illegal, for example, you need to draw boundaries, but you hope that that is not always the norm and that's an exception. And um, have you had any, can you think of any cases where you think you need, I mean, we've got the judges right behind us, I know, in wanting to ensure that kids and families are not at risk. Are there any examples yet where you've actually had to refer people to court or it's too early days for you? It's very early days. I am certainly aware of one one matter in which uh, one parent, in this particular case, the father was being quite quite overtly abusive um, and using the whole COVID-19 issue as a way of further bludgeoning his wife in a way that was really characteristic of their behaviour his behaviour towards her prior to all of this. And it was just a different manifestation of previously abusive behaviour that was controlled by virtue of an intervention order. Mm -hmm. And that particular lady, and I think very appropriately, was encouraged to seek assistance from the police who took it seriously, acted and acted uh, immediately to contain and manage the situation with very real consequences. So I think that's a really good example of the way in which allowances should not be made. There is no compromise. The police and the courts are not going to make allowances for people's behaviour, and especially so at this difficult time. 
that it is much more likely that the abusive behaviour that people experience now is going to be an extension of previously abusive behaviour. And if there is an intervention order in place or court-mandated restrictions, then they will still be powerful and they will still be applicable now. Well, that's, and that's, it's such an important thing to know. And I thought a wonderful message from the Chief Justice to say, we're here, we're virtual, Absolutely. we're going to keep operating and that message needs to be clear out in the community. Well, Vince, thank you so much for being part of this um, podcast. It really is such a great opportunity to reach out to listeners and to people who feel isolated and hopefully we can have many more to come and if we have any further queries we'd love to have you back but many many thanks for that Vince. Sally my pleasure and uh, just reminding people that there are services and supports available there there are the government has made available to every every citizen in Australia access to telehealth to mental health uh, again I would encourage you to look at uh, at the Australian Psychological Society to access Medicare-based and supported uh, counselling and, and mediation to help us through this difficult time. And, and it will end. Uh, we'll get through the other side and, and uh, we'll be okay. Well, that's wonderful. And I think we've, I can forecast that we're going to be interviewing the CEO of Safe Steps and we're going to be focusing specifically on domestic violence, hopefully in a constructive way. So um, that will be in our next series. But thank you again, Vince. Thank you, Sally. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.